Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 101. Defending the Ramparts of Solitaire Gaming, or This Moat Be a Good Episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 101. Um, today I'm sort of flying solo here, it's, uh, Julius is, wasn't available to record, uh, so so we don't have his presence, which unfortunately means we have a very truncated Kickstarter report. However, I am joining Chris on the print and play report, and then he and I are going to talk about uh, Castilian by Shady Torbay. This is the third slash fourth game in the Oniverse series. Now, I'm glad to talk about this game with Chris, because Julius hasn't tried this game yet, and I've wanted him to try it. I've been trying to convince him to play this. I think it's such a great game. So hopefully uh, Julius uh, listens to this and likes it and tries it. We shall see. Alright, today's Kickstarter report is just going to cover one game, and this is Aether Captains. Aether Captains. Either Captains. I don't know. It's um, by Todd Sanders and is being published by Mage Company. This is actually a game that was a, a solitaire print-and-play game Todd designed a few years ago, and has been picked up by Mage Company. It is the first one set in his... Uh, Steampunk universe of Arcady, the skies of Arcady. I believe it's his universe. He's got a few other games in it. Well, the series, I guess, is called uh, Aether Captains after this game. This was the first game in the series, but there's also the Capet Golems and the Clockwork Cabal and the Dread Supremacy and the Pirates and, and Pirates and Traders and the Search and Triad, which is actually, I think, three of the games I mentioned above, or maybe three different games. And there's also Tried 2, and Composite Empires, and Zeppelin Derby. And uh, not all these games are solo, but a few of them definitely are. It is set in a steampunk universe where you're flying around in, in skyships, you know. Um, hot air balloons with ships attached to them, which is really cool looking. <clears throat> Mage Company was very gracious, and they sent me a print-and-play copy to, that they put together so I could try it. Unfortunately, I got a little bit later than I would have liked and you know everybody's been sick in my house and just been so busy already that I never got a chance to actually play. I, I did look through the rules, um, look through the art. It looks really nice. Um, the rules that I received unfortunately don't describe the multiplayer game. I assume that the solo rules are similar to the original ones published by Todd, but but I don't know that for sure. But uh, this game has a lot of stuff and it has miniatures, a bunch of different space or starship miniatures, not starship, steamship miniatures, I guess. Enough for two, three, four, I think six players. Or, well, I guess up to five players. And a bunch of uh, tiles and tokens and hexes and things. <clears throat> What's really neat about this game is the way you, you manage your ship. Each ship is made out of five chunky dice, and you lay them in a straight line, and they have images of your ship. As your ship takes damage, you ro- rotate the dice to a different side, showing the damage. And so, so as you're doing that, the different sides look visually different and represent, you know, like maybe there's fire on your deck or that sort of thing. So, as I said, I'm not really clear on the solitaire rules. In the multiplayer game, you're playing the two different sides. One side is the Navy commander, and either one or two players could be the Navy commander. And these are the people that control the, the kingdom of Arcady, I guess, and are defending it. The other side is the War Captain Pirate. That side um, is a number of players, and each war captain has a different go. So the Navy commander, the multiplayer game, the p- 
the player or players are trying to destroy all the war captains. Each war captain has a, a distinct goal, which he's trying to achieve. And in the game, you actually set up a board made out of hex tiles, in which you're then flying from city to city and port to port, gathering resources to, to power your ship and to, to help you fight better and that sort of thing, and then have duels in the sky with your ships. Now, unfortunately, there's not a lot of time left in this Kickstarter. It ends in a, seven days as of today on May 9th. So you have until next week, Monday, depending on when you hear this. The basic level, there's still, as of right now, five more early bird rewards. You could get the basic game plus all stretch goals for, 50, for $55 plus shipping. If those are out, it's $60 plus shipping. And there's also higher goals, which you get a lot more stuff. There's already expansions planned and that sort of thing for the game. And the different exp- expansions actually give you other other ships to play as and that sort of thing. So check this out. It's a really neat looking game. And again, my apologies to, to Todd and to Mage Company for not having had the, the time to actually look through the game and try it out. And give it a, a more fair review and discussion. But uh, do check it out. All right, I am I am in here today for Chris's pr- print and play patrol segment. Um, Chris and I are talking now because we're going to talk about Castilian also. So I figured I'd I'd hang out for this and and listen and nod. <laughs> hey, Chris. Hey, Albert. How are you? <laughs> doing all right. Doing all right. How are you? Doing good. We're doing good. So this week on print and play patrol, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. Uh, there's a couple design contests going on right now on BoardGameGeek, uh, and all three of these have a, a solitaire game category. There's a contest uh, for a nine-card game, which is basically a game that only has nine cards, so it's really easy to, to print and play that. You just print up the nine cards and cut them up, and uh, some of them will use a couple cubes or dice, but other than that, you're ready to go. Um, there's another contest going on which is a one-page contest. So all the components in the game, everything that you have in the game has to fit on one page. Most of those are easy to uh, print and craft. Some of them you don't even have to cut anything at all. They're just a single sheet that you print and and you can play right on that board with a paper and pencil or something. Wow. Does that include the the rules on that page? Um, You know, I can't remember. (laughs) I'm I'm not as involved with that contest. I, I don't have an entry in it or anything, but... In fact, I'm going to say, no, I've printed up some of the entries I'm remembering now. There's a separate rule sheet for that contest. So it's like your board, your pieces, your counters, your whatever, all print up on the same sheet. If anyone has played Jasper and Zot, a game by Nick Hayes, that was originally done in a one-page contest similar to this one. It's been expanded now. The current print-and-play file is much larger because the board was pretty cramped and small. Um, but originally it was a, a one page game where everything except the rules printed on one page. Wow. Okay. Then the third contest going on right now that also has a solitaire category is the war game print and play contest. Uh, obviously this one's just focused on war games and unlike the other two contests, these ones aren't going to be as easy to build because you've got counter sheets, many cards, Large maps, you know, kind of the typical things you might find in the war game category. 
but there's several solitaire games in, in that contest as well right now. So if you're interested in solitaire print and play games and very latest stuff, these contests are an excellent way to do it. And then of course, next month we've got the solitaire print and play contest that I run will start at the end of May. Um, and that was, is obviously all solitaire games. So there's a ton of new solitaire designs coming out in, in these uh, design contests. Mm. Now you said your starts in May. Do you mean the what part of it? Because I thought it was going on from the beginning of the year where people could su- start submitting stuff to the to the forums. So I started that at the beginning of the year in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I opened it up for new entries in like January 1st and. Honestly, this year I, I needed a little bit of a break. I'd, I'd done the solitaire contest, and then immediately after I did the children's contest, uh, which was a design contest for children's games. So I was hosting a design contest all year long, and I just I couldn't start it at the start of the year. I just needed to. I wanted to step back and, and play games from other contests, and just have a little break from hosting one. So. It's actually going to start in May and have a shorter design period. I know there's several people working on games already, but you can't post them online until the contest actually starts. I see. Okay. So you just decided to do it differently. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's a little different every year. And one of the changes coming up this year is I'm actually allowing people to enter older games that they've had in previous contests. Like if they've had new ideas and they want to keep working on them, they can actually enter them in, in the solitaire contest this year. All the previous years, they had to be brand new games that had never been entered in any contest before. So it's a little bit different this year. And I, I, I'm hoping that people will take advantage of it and say, oh, this game I entered in the, in, in the war game contest or the 18 card contest or, you know, one of these other ones, I'd really like to keep working on it. I've got some new ideas and that they'll be able to expand it and improve it and, uh, hopefully win some geek gold. Uh, by entering it into the solitaire contest. Nice. Okay. Uh, now, are people also entering expansions? Was that that was allowed before? I imagine it's just nobody ever did. Maybe. Uh, yeah, and I'm not doing that uh, just because it, it was so hard. Because if you're making an expansion for a game, like you have Ticket to Ride or something, and you want to make a solitaire expansion, the only people who are going to play it or look at it are people who already have Ticket to Ride. So it really kind of limits your audience. Like these design contests are, you know, a tiny part of board game of the board gaming world. So to limit it further and say, okay, you have to print and play and cut this game yourself, and you have to own this other game. I, I just it, it wasn't working um, for me, and and not a very popular feature. Okay, I was actually thinking more specifically about uh, expansions to previous print and play games. Like if somebody had uh, submitted one to the contest last year, now they want to expand on it. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood you. Um, yeah, that's that would be allowed because um, a print and play expansion, anyone can go and print and play the original game if they wanted to. Uh, I don't think that anyone has ever done it that I can recall. There's been a lot of sequels and prequels and things like that, but I, I don't know off the top of my head of any expansions that have come out to pre-existing games but they would be allowed i think mm, okay very cool okay and you said that starts next month in may yeah just just a week away no it, it, it actually starts at the end of may ah okay <laughs> uh, so i should have the date memorized i'm pulling it up right now uh, <laughs> it starts 
Um, May 29th, so like the very end of May. I mean, almost in June. Ah, okay. So at the very end of the school year and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really, it's a summer contest. It runs through May 29th, and then the voting will end on, uh, around September 4th. So the, the voting becomes available on August 28th, and then we'll, the contest will end on September 24th. So pretty much goes through all the summer months. Neat. Okay. That's very cool. But I wanted to talk today about some of the solitaire games that are out right now. Uh, I've been playing a lot of the ones from the nine card contest, and I thought these would be good ones to talk about because they're incredibly easy to print and play. There's nothing complex. This contest doesn't allow for separate counters. It doesn't allow for any kind of pieces you have to make. It's just nine cards, and um, you can have cubes or meeples in your game, but those are just things you could grab out of uh, another game box that had a lot of cubes, like Pandemic or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very easy to try. That Probably the hardest thing you'd have to do on some games is glue the front to the back of the card if you wanted to. Some cards you actually have to flip and use both sides. There's a few that are required, but a lot of the games are single-sided. Okay, so I imagine most of those are just one page anyway then. Yeah, they're all nine cards that fit onto a single page, uh, which is pretty typical print-and-play layout for cards. You have three three rows of three cards each. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so one of the first games uh, that I played from the contest is called Dynamice. This is a little maze game where you're trying to move. The, the theme is you've got four mice, and they each are you know, armed with some bombs, and they're going to try and destroy this rat mobster guy. Um, it's kind of a funny theme, but these cards... In the maze, there's a path, you know, that will lead through, and as the different cards touch each other, you can move through them. Um, the, the cards always connect to another card to make the path, and you're trying to get to this specific target card. And once you get there, that's all you have to do, and that's, you know, automatically dropping off your explosives or whatever. Um, but the thing that makes this game really unique is that the cards slide around. It's a nine by nine grid, but one of the spaces is empty. So it's like one of those sliding picture puzzles where you're trying to, mm-hmm. um, you know, put together the picture by sliding the pieces around. Uh, so in this game, you're trying to put together a path in the maze that your mice can slide down. Um, but it's always changing because you're shifting those cards all over the place. And it's pretty cool. Like it, it's, it's set up so the more cards you move, the more mice you have to move. So it gets really complicated and really brain bendy. And I, I've played it a couple times, and just to be fully honest, I'm terrible at sliding picture puzzles, and I'm probably even worse at this because there's so much to keep track of. It's really brain melting for me. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> never won it or anything close to. Um, but it's a really cool idea. Like I admire the idea, even if like it's totally not my kind of game, just because I'm not wired that way. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds neat. Um, and it's it, those cards are single-sided, so it's nice and easy to make. You, you don't have to print the card backs. It's a, a very simple one to put together. Um, another game is called Nano Cyber Rogue. This is also a maze game, but there's no sliding involved, so I'm, I'm a little bit better <laughs> at this one. <laughs> In this one, you are 
you're trying to hack into a computer network. So the, the maze that's printed on the cards, and it's the same kind of concept. The cards will always match up side to side. So when you put them together, you, you build this maze. Um, but you don't reveal a new card until you've actually moved to the edge of a card and you need more more space to travel on. So, so mm-hmm. in this game, you're, you're a computer hacker and I think maybe you're like at the program going through the network or something, but um, you're moving your little cube through this maze. And as you go, you're, you're just trying to find a, an end node. Uh, whatever it is you're trying to find is just represented by an end card that you're trying to get to, but it's buried in the deck. You don't know exactly when it's going to come up. So as you reveal new cards, you'll get um, the security system of the program you're hacking into, and you roll dice to see how far you can move and what kind of actions you can take. And those dice will also power the computer system security. And once they get powered, they start following you around in the maze. Um, and if they catch you, it might send you back to the beginning or something. So it's a very different style of dynamite because the maze is static. It's not shifting around or anything, but this time you've got opponents that are actively trying to catch you. And there's a few things that they, that you can do. You can spend points to change dice and things, um, which you, you can either use to get through certain nodes that require dice combinations, or you can use it to stop the computer system from moving. So very cool game, very easy to put together and very low ink. Like if you didn't want to print a game that used a lot of printer ink, this is a good one. It's mostly white with just a little path illustrated on the cards. Neat. Okay. Um, designer of, or, or I'm sorry, the, the host of this contest, Joseph Prop- uh, Propati, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, he has a game in the contest called Zombies in Our Neighborhood. This one's not a maze card at all, uh, or a maze game. Uh, in this one, the cards are forming kind of a grid, and you lay them out in a random order. He's got a cool m- map generator that you go through at the beginning of the game to make your neighborhood. But every card has houses on it and fences and yards. And what's happened is you're some kind of Marine that has come home from service to find a a zombie outbreak in your neighborhood. So you're trying to get through the neighborhood and rescue a family member from one of the houses. And and the family members will pop up in houses just randomly by die roll. Uh, And of course the neighborhood's also filled with zombies so you've got weapons, you've got bats and guns, and you can bash the zombies. Um, and if you're not able to, they'll they'll attack you. So it's kind of um, a, a little bit like a an RPG style where you've got character stats, you've got your health, and you've got how much food you're carrying, and you have to reduce that every turn because your character has to eat as he's searching for his family. Um, Pretty fast-playing game and pretty straightforward. It, it almost has some dungeon crawl elements of, you know, just going through these houses and searching and finding, you know, a random shotgun that you can use to attack the zombies with. Uh, but it plays really quickly, and uh, I, I really like the map generation. The zombie fighting is pretty straightforward. It's, it's really hard to miss a zombie. Um, so basically it's just being able to allocate your actions. You have two actions every turn that you can use for moving or searching a house or attacking a zombie. So if you get a lot of zombies around you, you've got to spend a lot of time attacking and you're not able to find new items or search for your family members. 
but it, it's cool. It's, it's, it's pretty fun, especially if you like the zombie theme. Um, so I'm just going to talk about two more games. There's, there's a couple other solitaire games, but I'm just going to talk about the ones that I'm most familiar with right now. Um, mm-hmm. I ha- I actually have an entry in the contest, and I, I want to be careful talking about it that I'm not like swaying anyone's votes, but uh, it is a solitaire game. It's called Yeoman, the nine-card Agincourt game. So this is a little micro-card-driven game, uh, war game based on the Battle of Agincourt. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this game, you're playing the French, who historically lost the battle uh, pretty severely. Um, the battle is famous for having, you know, just a, a couple thousand Englishmen versus a much, much larger French force. But due to the terrain and due to the circumstances of the battle and the much better English longbow, the French got defeated very, very badly. Um, the English lost only a couple hundred people and the French lost, you know, estimates range from like 6,000 people somewhere in that neighborhood. And most of them nobility and, and very important powerful people in France that all died on that battlefield. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. um, so if you're familiar with war games that use a card driven mechanic, like paths of glory or we, the people, something like that, this game is similar to that. Um, every time you do something, you try to move down the field or you try to attack the English, the game will respond with an event card that hits you. Um, like if you try to move, you get one of the conditions of the battlefield, like really muddy, slippery ground that was making people slip and fall, uh, which is one of the big problems the French face. Or the horse getting scared from arrow fire and charging into the oncoming knights and knocking them over and trampling them, which is you know, a horrifying element of that battle. Um, but you've got to deal with all of this and manage to get enough troops to the English line and defeat them in battle to win. So it's made to be pretty hard, but actually have a lot of fun playing it. Um, uses the same mechanic of uh, that's found in games like Paths of Glory, where you can use your cards either for points, where you can do anything you want with your action points, or you can play an event that will give you some kind of bonus uh, that's cool just for that turn. Um so that one is out, and it's a single-sided card game, but a little more ink-heavy than some of the others. It's It's got illustrations done by Todd Sanders, who um, is the designer of Aether Captains, which I believe uh, we're going to chat about a little mm-hmm. later. Um, and then the final game I want to talk about from the nine-card contest is called Mini Rogue. This is a straight-up dungeon delver. And it is probably my favorite solitaire game I've played from this contest, uh, including mine. It's it's a really cool idea. Each card in the game is a room of the dungeon. Uh, but you lay out your dungeon in such a way that it, they're la- the cards are laid out in columns, but some of the columns have multiple cards. And so you'll just choose one of those cards when you enter that column. So you never know exactly what room you're going to hit or what kind of monster you're going to hit. But the thing that makes this game cool, so it's not repetitive, is the cards will change values the deeper you go into the dungeon. So you'll lay out these cards, and you'll have a merchant card that sells you things, or you'll have a monster that you have to face, or some treasure that you can find. But the amount of treasure, or the amount that 
the strength of the monster, the number of hits he can do to you changes the, the deeper you go into the dungeon. So the game gets progressively harder and you have to go through 20 different um, levels on the dungeon to beat it. There's like 20 turns in the game. I'm sorry, there's, there's five, five levels of the dungeon with four rooms in each level. So you're going through all these rooms and, and fighting monsters and, and going deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, so with even just nine cards in the contest, it manages to get progressively more difficult and hold your attention for a long time. Uh, just because it keeps getting harder and, and you've got to keep leveling up and building up your character stats and getting better. Um, even though you're facing the same cards over and over and over, they're different and more powerful every time you see them. And it's just handled in such a smooth, easy to follow way. The, the rule book was easy to read and the artwork on the cards is beautiful. So this one was, was really awesome. So if you're into dungeon delvers or solitaire games, like it's a simple print and play game to make. All of them are. They're all. They're all the same. They're all nine cards, uh, but it's it's a really really good game. Cool. They they all do sound really cool. I've been impressed. I'm looking forward to trying them. I've been impressed with this contest that there's nine cards and that's all you can have, and you know just a handful of cubes and dice, and that's it. And people have had so much variety. I've also played several of the the two player games with my daughter. Oh, I, I did forget one solitaire game I've played called the the Harvest Feast. In this game, you've got fields and you're trying to grow enough food. Um, each type of food you can grow is represented by a die, and, and you're trying to grow enough corn to raise that die. Uh, every time you grow a corn, you raise it by one number. And you start the game with kind of this randomly assigned combination, like you need four corn, three uh, cucumbers, two tomatoes, or you know whatever, and you have to meet that combination by growing the right crops. And you have eight cubes that are functioning as your crops in the game. Um, mm-hmm. But every turn, you lose one of those cubes, and you can't use it in the next turn. So it gets more challenging as you go because you have less resources to work with. And it also plays two player, and as like I've played it with my six year old daughter, and it was great for her. So. It's, it's a friendly children's game, but it also was kind of a, it, it's, it's not the most challenging game. It's, you know, kind of a children's game, but it was fun to play solitaire. I, I enjoyed it that way as well. And it plays in like 10 minutes. It's really five or 10 minutes. It's a really quick one. Oh, okay, cool. It sounds like most of them are pretty quick, except maybe the dungeon one. The dungeon one's probably the longest. There is a two player game in the contest, which I know isn't as relevant for this podcast called Kokono. Um, and it's, it's a abstract strategy where you're trying to move cubes across a board and, and the cards will flip over. So the path changes. It's not quite a maze cause you can see everything and it's, it's not, you know, everything just goes up and down or left and right. It's, so it's not really a maze, but it's just an abstract strategy. And that game can take around, uh, 45 minutes to play. Um, if, if you have two people who are really good and, and equal footing, the design the, mm-hmm. i've played i've played with my daughter and i've been nice to her you know so the, the games <laughs> you crushed her the, the, she, she actually she does not return that favor she crushed me oh. <laughs> so the game was over in 15 20 minutes or so um but it can take a lot longer so it's, it, again that's amazing to see you've got nine cards and you can make this game last 30 minutes or 45 minutes and, and have it be interesting throughout it's it's really cool mm-hmm. that does sound really neat that's an impressive uh, 
Challenger. So there's a couple other solitaire games from the the nine card contest, but unfortunately I haven't gotten to all of them yet. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to, to play them all because I want to make a good informed voting decision. But that contest goes through the end of May, so you can get your votes in anytime. You've still got about another month to get in there and play games. So if you're interested in crafting any of these, it's really easy. They're, they're all easy to make. And I know the designers would love any additional feedback that they have. Uh, one of the problems with these contests is always getting enough people to provide feedback and help the designers improve their game. So if you want to go in and help play test anything and provide some constructive criticism, I know that any of the designers would love that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yep. The, the more help, the better. Um. Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't. Is there anything else? Print and play patrolish. Not that I can think of. Um, so the the war game contests. Um, I have. I'm, I'm working on building several of these games, and they're larger projects. Uh, but I can speak to two of them right now. Uh, one is called Constantinople. It is a States of Steed State. <laughs> <laughs> Constantinople is a States of Siege style game like the victory point games like Israeli independence mm-hmm. and um, you know, Dawn of the Zeds. Yep. This game is yep. probably kind of a mid-level complexity one. You've got the standard tracks leading to your center city of Constantinople. Um, but you also have to maintain your wall that surrounds the city. You have to build monuments to, you know, glorify the empire and stuff. Um, and the thing that makes this one interesting is a lot of states of siege games are about one battle that lasted, you know, a, a defined period of time. But this one manages to do a thousand years of history of the of the empire, and it's it's really interesting that it, as the game goes, the enemy tracks will switch out. It's like the the Hun Empire fails and gets replaced with the next next empire. Um, these tracks will stay the same on the map, but the, the enemy counter will change, and that value that you're facing, you know, in a States of Siege-style game, you've always got a counter that has, you know, you have to roll better than a three to kill this counter, or, or I'm sorry, less than a three to kill the counter, or, or a two or a four, whatever that value is. So this one, you'll have a, a counter that's coming in that's a, at a value three, and then it will change midway through the game to a value four when it becomes a new empire. So it's it's a pretty cool cool feature of the game. Mm-hmm. That does sound neat. Um, the the other one that I'm kind of familiar with is called Castle Itter. It is I really like the theme on this one. It's a World War II solitaire game, and this battle, I guess uh, there's a, a castle in northern Germany called Castle Itter, and I'm hopefully pronouncing that right. Um, but it was under attack by some SS soldiers, and the locals did not want that castle to get attacked. There was American soldiers there. There was French soldiers there. It is the only battle in World War II where German units and American units fought side by side. as The German locals were <laughs> joining forces with the Americans to help protect this castle from getting plundered by the Nazis. Oh, wow. Um, it, I think it was a, a shorter battle. It, it's kind of a lesser known one, but it, it, it's known as one of the, the strangest battles of World War II. 
And like I said, I, before hearing about this game, I never would have guessed that Germans and Americans had fought together against Nazis, uh, but they had in this battle. Um, it, this is a really large print and play game. You're, the map is huge. It, it's, I, I printed it onto 10 sheets of, of letter paper and had to cut them up and assemble them. There's ton, tons oh. of cards, lots of counters. It's a beautiful looking game and it looks really professional, but it's, it's very, very big. Um, but as you play the game, more and more Nazis are coming in and attacking and you've got people getting taken prisoner, but even the prisoners have actions. So, um, basically your goal is to defend this castle from getting taken over by the Nazis. So it's a really interesting game. Um, there's several other solitaire games in the war game contest and that contest, I think the voting goes on for quite a while. Um, so there's more time to, to look at them. See the voting, the voting will end, uh, June 30th. So there's another two months to play the games. They, they gave you a long time window. I think because these games are harder to build and harder to learn the rules and get to the table. The castle editor, I think had a 20 page rule book or something. So it's oh, wow. a typical, typical war game, I think. Um, <laughs> But if you're interested in solitaire war games, there's some really cool looking ones in this contest. That sounds cool. With with the with the size of these games, it sounds like they really deserve to be published. Just all the effort and time people must have put into making them. Yeah, uh, Constantinople is actually fairly easy to make. The counters are single sided, and there's just a few cards. I mean, it's really if you're familiar with Israeli independence or something like that, it's this, kind of the same number of counters and uh, about thirty cards. So it's not it's not mm-hmm. too bad to put together, and a, a, okay. the map prints on a single sheet. So it's there's not a a lot of crafting to do, but some of these other games in the contest are a lot bigger than that. Okay, you know, mentioning counters, I, I saw the other day that Miniature Market sells um, blank counters that are you could write on them with a dry erase marker. Have you seen that at all? I, I've I haven't seen it at Miniature Market, but I've seen it before. I think it's really cool uh, for prototyping and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was something... I know they carry stuff that they make themselves or, or at least license. I wasn't sure if it was public. It might be good if, Th- those are neat. if you wanted to try out a print-and-play game without going to all the effort. Maybe you could write down some of the values. or Maybe mm-hmm. that's more work than just cutting up the counters. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. I don't know. I guess, I guess it depends on how many you got. Yeah, double-sided counter sheets are always a kind of a pain to make you know, when you're trying to glue yeah. them together and get them lined up properly and everything. But um, it's not, not yeah. too bad, but it, I, I understand why print and play can turn some people off. Mm-hmm. Like the nine card contest, let's grab a pair of scissors and cut up the cards and you're good. But you know, when you're making double yeah. sh- double sided counter sheets, that's a lot more challenging to do and a lot more time. Consuming. Even publishers have trouble with that once in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of the, the Victory Point games' new model, uh, the the laser printing that they do, like their counter sheets are always beautiful now. But some of their older games, when they had the die cut press, you'd punch out the counter sheet, and the front and back weren't quite aligned. So like a little <laughs> edge would get cut off, and mm-hmm. you you know it didn't affect gameplay, but it just didn't look as nice. But they, they look much much nicer now. They they always look good with their new counter sheets. They do. They look really sharp now. So that's all the games I have to talk about on Print and Play Patrol. I hope that uh, if you haven't tried out some of these contest games that people will want to go take a look at them. But um, that's it for me. 
Well, neat. Okay. Th- thank you for sharing it. Um, you know, I'll include links to the contests and some dates on the show notes. Yeah. If you forward those on to I'll, me. I'll, I'll send everything to you <laughs> so we can get them in the, in the show notes and people can find them easily. Or I could just read the, the full thread, the, the full URL. I'm sure that would be fascinating. <laughs> All right. Everybody listen. Or do you have pen and paper handy? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'll send you the links later. <laughs> All righty. Okay, and that's a wrap for that segment. All right, and Chris and I are going to talk about Castilian. Um, Julius is not talking about it. He's been avoiding this game, I think, because uh, his experience of the last few Omniverse games, he hasn't bought into this one yet. So we are here to convince, convince Julius that he wants Castilian. Yeah, I think this is a good game. I like this one. I like it a lot too, but but we're jumping ahead over. <laughs> so so this is a, this is a game in the Omniverse series. It's the third or the fourth, depending on how you count, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the f- third one in the big box. It's the fourth one that's been released all around. Yeah, what was the? Uh, I, I forgot the name of the second one. That the stepchild. The stepchild, um, yeah. <laughs> Equilibrion, and then it got renamed to um, Erbion. Erbion, that's right. I have that game, uh, but. I haven't, haven't spent much time with it. Okay, I haven't played it in a while. I like it. I like that one. That's that's one of my top three. I saw definitely. rumors or heard something that it might be released in the big box at some point, um, but I don't know. Oh, okay. I hope so. I know, I don't remember if it was when I talked to him or if I heard him talking to somebody else, but um, he'd be interested in publishing it, but at the same time, you, you kind of want to move forward and get new games out. I mean, he wants to design games instead of just releasing the same thing over and over. Unfortunately, I think it's out so. of print now, though. Oh, it might be. You know, more the reason to republish it. I'd buy it again. Okay. <laughs> Castilian right, so, is in print and easy to get right now. <laughs> that's right. It is. It came out last year, didn't it, or this year? Uh, it, it came out last year. I got it for Christmas. Uh, I, I think it had come out maybe a month or two or maybe a few months before that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the theme of this game is there is a city that you're defending from attack. And we'll get into the details later, but there, there's three levels. The first couple levels, you're just in training for defending. And then at the third level, you actually get attacked by the, the horde. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the name of the enemy. Yeah, and, and this takes place in the same dream world uh, as the other games. Uh, the the mm-hmm. pieces that you're playing with are called dream tiles, uh, and the artwork is very similar to the others. So thematically it takes place in the same universe even though the gameplay is uh, a little different but we'll, we'll get into that as well <laughs> mm-hmm. all right so so i guess let's talk about the components real quick it's it's pretty straightforward you get a bunch of tiles in the game in the box and uh, probably about 20 or 30 cards and one only meeple again mm-hmm. which uh, that meeple looks like it's primarily used in uh, variants and stuff it's not used in any of the actual gameplay that's right and that's been true i think for all of them so far mm-hmm. yeah that has been um all right so so the game is a tile drawing game basically a tile laying game it's very it's very much a spatial game um the tiles the i guess there's in the basic game there's a couple types of tiles there's some that have blue backed and some that have a, a red back other than that, they're basically the same. They on the other side, on the flip side, they have an image of one of the inhabitants of the of that castle, 
of Castilian. Um, there's four types of inhabitants. There's the green people, the blue people, the red people, and the yellow people. <laughs> they all have a name, and I, I can't remember. that. There's the juggler, the chameleon, the the pyro, and I, I can't remember what the, the last one is off the top of my head here. But Probably like but, the, but, the seer or something like that, maybe? The seer, that's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> when, you, when you're playing the game, though, it's like blue and red and yellow that <laughs> the names yeah. are just thematic they're cool but uh they're, they're just thematic mm-hmm. and they do tie into the to the mechanics a little bit later on not at the first mm-hmm. levels so so there's the four colors of people and i guess they come in in three genders you could say there's the triangles the circles and the squares yep yeah you got so every tile has a shape right it's, it's either a, a shape and a color yeah yeah all, all of your colors are well represented with and I think they're evenly divided. You have as many green triangles as blue triangles and, and as many green triangles as green squares. So I think it's evenly divided. So you've got that the same number of pieces throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And see, there, I guess there's three shapes per color. So that's a total of 12 combinations. And I think there's about 60-something tiles. Yeah, there's 72 tiles total. Yeah, 72. Okay. And, and there's also a few tiles in red. So there's probably about, yeah, about five or six of each shape and color combination. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, in, in the game, like you say, you're, you're building this um, spatial grid. You've got a six-by-six six grid that you're working in. And the goal of the game is to try to build these shapes with your tiles. So it could be a horizontal line of four blocks or, or four tiles or a vertical line. And in the game, they call these the tower, uh, the defensive line, which is four four tiles in a horizontal row. And these are all of the same colors, like four blue tiles. And then the third one is a group of four blocks in a square. So you've got you know, two, two blocks stacked up on top of each other. Um, but the mechanic of this game, the, you know, the, the big challenge of this comes from the shapes, the triangle, the circle, and square that are on these tiles, those shapes cannot be placed adjacent to each other. Um, so you've only got three shapes you're working with, and obviously each tile can be adjacent to um, you know, four tiles on the left, right, up, and down. Um, so you've really, really got to be careful when you're placing your tiles, or else you'll make these situations where you, you can't place anything and it happens to me all the time. <laughs> if I'm if I'm oh, not yeah. careful, where I have an open space and I've got a triangle on the left, a square on the right, and a circle underneath it, and you know there's nothing you can place there. <laughs> that 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 spot is unusable. And then if you've got unusable spots, you're probably going to lose the game, at least in the earlier levels where you can't change anything in the castle. Mm-hmm. Though in the uh, advanced, in the intermediate and advanced rules, th- there are other ways to deal with that sort of issue. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, let's let's I guess talk about how do you set up the game. Sure. Um, well, actually, let's finish talking about the components. There's there is one other kind of tile. I forget what it's what he's called. The bad ones. Oh yeah, um, those tiles. Those are called the traitor. Um, the traitor. They don't have any shape. They're just kind of this shadowy figure. Um, and those t- those tiles kind of act as the timer in the game. You've got these certain goals you're trying to achieve, and if you draw traders from your stack, um, 
you mentioned setup. There, there really isn't any setup to the game. You've just got a stack of tiles, <laughs> and you start drawing and placing. And yeah. um, Well, you get the cards up front. Yeah. You do yeah, have the card. The um, cards show you your goal, three, right? Yes. And there's three levels. Well, there's you got to meet three goals, three challenges during the game. Um, so in the basic game, in the introductory game, you're going to have the face one, the the first challenge. You're going to play that card face up. Then there's a second challenge. You'll play that card face up. And then for the third challenge, I think you have three different cards. You're going to shuffle it up and draw one and play that one face up. Uh, and each card has what you have to accomplish by the, the time you reach the that challenge. And it may be, I think for the first one, is you have to have one horizontal and one vertical and one square shape completed. Yeah. And so these cards will have a little diagram showing what shapes you need. And I think you're right. You need to have like one of each of the, the kind of shapes on that first challenge. Um, and the, the first level, the introduction to the game, kind of the beginning one, is just about building shapes. There's, there's no special powers. We'll talk about the special powers in a minute, I think. But that introductory level is just kind of teaching you how to make shapes and how to not have little spots where you can't place a tile like like I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but those each of those cards will have a timer of when you need to complete it by, and that timer is done through trader tiles. So in the first the first card of the first introductory beginner level, I think the total is five trader tiles. So you have to build one of everything before you draw five tiles out of the deck. Um, so it's, the game has a little bit of a luck element, especially in the beginning level, where once you draw five card or five trader tiles, um, if you haven't finished those other those other segments, uh, whether you you've even had the opportunity to, like maybe you haven't drawn enough tiles yet. You can lose the game just by drawing those trader tiles, because um, they're, they're yeah, just. Yeah, but if that happens, that was quick anyway. Yeah. And it's not a big deal to just. Start yeah, over. exactly. And I've I've had games where, you know, I'll I'll draw a tile and place it, and then my next two tiles are trader tiles. <laughs> it's like this is <laughs> like I'm just gonna I'm reshuffling. This is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, all right, so when we're playing the game, um, we've already set up the three challenge cards, and we know our goals for mm-hmm. the game. And then we have our tiles. I mentioned there's two colors, right? There's the blue-backed ones and the red-black ones. You're going to separate those two piles and shuffle them separately. And then to play, you just start drawing tiles one at a time, right? Yeah. You draw a tile, and if it's one of the um, traders, you set it on your challenge card to mark that you, you've got one trader. Mm-hmm. And you'll keep setting them there. And if it's not a trader, then you draw it and you place it somewhere in your castle that you're building. When you first start, it's empty, so you can put it anywhere you want. But it's always got to start at the bottom row at the base of the of your castle. Um, yeah, and the bottom the and bottom row, mm-hmm. I, I want to mention, there's an exception to the rule. And this is true for any, mm-hmm. any version, whether you're playing the beginner or the expert level game. Uh, that rule about you can't place pieces of the same shape adjacent to each other doesn't exist on the bottom row. So when you're setting up the base of your castle, you can play a, a green square next to a green square, for example. There's no there's no rules against that. It sounds like you're in a thunderstorm. Sorry, the, <laughs> the, the bathtub in the next room started. <laughs> my, oh, wow. I okay. might need to cut, <laughs> cut, cut this part out of the podcaster. <laughs> 
Okay, I'll keep talking because it's not going to come out through my side. Yeah, as soon as the tub is filled, this will turn off. <laughs> it's funny. Okay, so in the so you're going to start drawing tiles, as we already said. You're going to you're going to place it. Um, there's no restrictions. You can put anything next to each other, but you're keeping in mind that you need a line of four tiles of the same color, a column, and a square. And, and you just start placing tiles, trying to meet your goals. Um, there are some restrictions. The the lines, the, the shapes that you're trying to build, have to be made exactly of four tiles and cannot touch any other tile of the same color. So if you have a line of, of four yellow, and then you place another yellow immediately above the, one of those, you immediately disqualify that line from being scored. Um, and so I think that's it for the basic game, right? You can draw tiles and play them, building your shape, which it's a nice activity. Uh, occasionally you get traders, you can set them on your challenge card. At the point where you've reached the limit for that challenge card, you not have to complete that challenge. You just look at your building that your your shape that you're creating, your castle, and if you if you meet the requirement, you have the one column, one square, and one horizontal line. You've completed challenge one. Throw those traders out. And go on, discard that challenge card and go on to the next challenge card and just keep drawing again. Um, I believe the challenge stays the same each time. And I believe at the end of... I haven't played the basic game in a while, but one of the challenges, you have to also remove the bottom row from your tower. Yeah, that's the second challenge. Okay. So, so you know, if you've got a horizontal row at the bottom row of your tower and you need that for the end, you're going to have to get rid of them anyway. And when you re- and it's also going to mess up your call. When you remove that row, you have to make sure that you leave. Uh, there has there has to be six tiles on the next row because if you're uh, the new base of your tower after you remove that row is incomplete, uh, you'll lose the game. You you won't complete that challenge. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it there also a rule that if your if your base is not six when you meet a challenge, you automatically fail? You have to have six tiles across. I think yeah. It doesn't matter what they yeah, are. Yeah, they have to be also always has to be six tiles on your base whenever you meet a challenge. But so that's the basic game. You're going to go this way until you finish the third challenge and hopefully beat it, or if you get disqualified before that at one of the other challenges. Um, really straightforward. One thing I did forget, if you if you draw a tile and you don't want to place it in your castle, discard it. No big deal. No harm done. Just keep in mind that, you know, you may have needed it for later on. Um, so that's the basic game. The The intermediate game now adds a little more twist to it. Um, all the rules that were there before still apply. Yeah, I, I really like the second level of the game. Like, the basic game is fun to learn how to build the shapes and stuff, but the intermediate level starts adding some very cool features. Yes, I agree. It, it does make a lot of fun. Um, the first thing that's different in this level is that you have a new set of challenge cards. Instead of the, the first three that you used... Um, these now, they're different. You still play the first level face-up automatically, but then you get to shuffle and draw a random one for level 2 and a random one for level 3. Yeah, and they're, they're, a so, little more, so could be they're a little more challenging. You have to complete them with a lower number of traders. So in that first level, you have to draw five traders before you are required to meet the goal. In, and then in the intermediate level 2... When you're doing that first challenge, you have to have only three traders, and then your challenge is due. So it's it's a little more challenging. You've got to get things done faster. 
Mm-hmm. That's right, and it is much, much more challenging. I think that way. Oh, one thing we forgot: there's two types of traders. Some have a black border, and some don't. Mm-hmm. Well, that, um, and they matter now. At yeah, this that, level. it doesn't matter in the introductory level, but it matters now. Um, yep. Yep. And so the way they matter: if you draw a trader and it does not have a black border, you could choose to discard him. You know what? I don't really want him. I don't want to move the timer for him. I'm just going to discard him. No big deal. However, there is a little bit of a drawback there, right? Um, you also have to discard four tiles from your castle. Yeah. So it, any four count. Yeah, right? and if you can time it where you have four tiles, three or four tiles that you don't really want or that are messing you up somehow, it can actually be a nice feature to get rid of those and, and get rid of the trader at the same time. But other times it's very, very painful to pay to get rid of that trader because you're destroying a huge chunk of your castle. Yeah, uh, a lot of times it's painful. I, I think it's usually painful, but occasionally, yeah, it works out where it's in your benefit, especially like if you have a, a case where you, you met the first challenge or the second challenge and you had to have four horizontal lines, and now the next challenge you got to have four vertical lines or something. I don't think that case actually can come up, but that sort of thing can come up. Yeah, I, I, And so it could help you get ready. I played the game uh, this afternoon again, just kind of preparing for this podcast, and in the game I hit one of those situations because I'm an idiot of a triangle, a circle, and a square all bordering an empty space so I couldn't place anything. And then I had a trader come up, and I was able to nuke some of those tiles. <laughs> I was able to place squares and uh, place tiles and finish some, some structures. Oh, nice. Okay. So there, there it was actually nice. I was relieved to <laughs> clear up some of my uh, stupid mistakes. <laughs> yep, and get rid of one of those pesky traders at the same time. That's fantastic. <laughs> Now, I have found if you if you get rid of traders too often, you will not have enough tiles to, to win at the end. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just have to accept the trader and answer. Oh. Now, the thing is, if you do get that, to that challenge and you don't have enough tiles to meet the challenge, you'll lose the game too. So you kind of have to choose whether you destroy a trader or or keep them. Yeah, on. and I, I think you mentioned the traders with the black borders. You cannot ever get rid of those ones. Those ones are required to go on your card. The, tr- the traders that don't have a black border, they look identical other than that black border, but you can knock off four tiles from your castle to get rid of those, but not the ones with the black border. Um, also, I think it's important, I don't think we mentioned, you mentioned that some of the tiles have a blue back and some of them have a purple back. The trader tiles are mixed in with the purple back tiles, and that's the bulk. You've got about 60 of those tiles. So most of them are going to be pieces that you can use, um, but you might get a trader from them. The blue tiles are safe. There are no tile. There's no traders in them. It's basically one of every color and shape combination. There's 12 tiles. So you have your blue circle, blue square, blue triangle, so on and so forth with all the other colors. So there's one of each. So you're guaranteed to get something you can use and not have a trader, but you only have 12 of them. And once they're gone, they're gone. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a nice to have, but you also want to save it for when you really, really need it. You don't want to use them all at the beginning. Yep. yep. And now the other thing we haven't mentioned about the intermediate game, which is I think the biggest difference, yes. is um, you remember how we talked about the, the four races, the Bluvians and the Orangians and the Redians? Well, in the intermediate game, when you choose to discard them and not put them into your castle, they they have a special ability that comes into play. And each color has a different ability. And, and you were right when you said the names matched a little bit more thematically. Um, so the juggler, which I believe is the red race, 
Um, that character, when you discard it, you can take any two tiles in your castle that are adjacent to each other, whether left or right or up and down, and swap them. And that's kind of useful because the rules about a square can't be next to a square and a circle can't be next to a squirt circle, those don't apply when you're switching the tiles. So if you have something that otherwise you couldn't place, you could maybe complete a structure you were working on by switching those tiles and getting a circle next to a circle to finish a, a horizontal tower um, or something like that. Um, let's see, the, there's also the seer, which is the blue race. When you discard one of mm. those, which I discard these ones all the time because their power is so nice, <laughs> it lets you draw the next four tiles off of your stack. And you can kind of play them in any order that you want. So if you draw a um, a trader, you can put him off until you you know are able to deal with him better, or you can build a structure because you know these four tiles. I can use them here, 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 and here, and and finish this structure or that structure. So it's a really powerful ability. Yep, and once you flip those cards over, you, those tiles over, you have to use those four before you can draw again, mm-hmm. right? Uh, unless one of them happens to be another seer, right? Like, sometimes you'll get a seer, a trader, and two other things. I'll end up using those two other things and then using my seer to discard and, again, draw three more to fill it back up to four. Yeah. That hopefully do something to deal with that uh, trader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I'll get stuff I don't want and I'll just throw it on the castle and then use the trader to, to knock it off and, and get rid of that trader at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh. You haven't done that. That never occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, if, if I know I have a trader coming up, sometimes I'll build garbage um, <laughs> just so that I can uh, get rid of it with the trader and not kill anything that I actually want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then my discard pile is always huge because I <laughs> think I get rid of too much stuff <laughs> and I can't complete my structures. Um, what's the other what the other abilities? The, the green race is the chameleon and they can switch. Mm-hmm. With, like your discard pile is face up and you can go through it. It's not it's not hidden from you. So you can use that a discard a green tile that's maybe a circle or a triangle and get any other circle or triangle piece that that matches the one you're discarding so if you need a red triangle you can discard a green triangle and then pull a red triangle out of the discard pile and put it wherever you need to in your castle Mm -hmm. yeah those are really handy i love those too though i often forget that the restriction that the shape has to be the same so I've often discarded like a, a green circle and drawn a, a red square. Oh yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be supposed to be the same same mm-hmm. size. And then the last one, the pyro, which is a kind of a yellowish brown character. Yeah, that You're probably more purple than yellow. But I was calling. It <laughs> <laughs> I, it, there's that one's a little harder to tell. Um, but what is that? That one. It will. He's neat, but he's he's more complicated. He is. He right? is. It's like you can burn down any tile from your uh, from your castle, even one like in the middle that's surrounded by other tiles. And when you like, if you take one that has other tiles on top of it, they'll just fall like Tetris style to fill the hole, so everything will shift down that was above it. And then you can take any other tile from your castle and move it somewhere else. So you mm-hmm. kill one and move another one. So it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than the others, but he can be very powerful too, especially if you have something in just the wrong spot. Um, 
let's say you're trying to make a, a, a horizontal row, your defensive line, four tiles laid out side to side. Um, but right in the middle of it, you know, a few turns ago, you're trying to build a, a tower. So you've got this separate color in the middle. You can, you can fix that. Um, I, I love the intermediate game that it gives you opportunities to fix your tower and change it. In that basic game, the first level, there's none of that. Once you place a piece, it's pretty much there. So in some ways, that game might be even harder. Because uh, if you draw a, a trader or you put a piece on your on your castle, it's just there forever. You can't get rid of your traders and you can't get, move your pieces around. So the intermediate game gives you some abilities, but also makes it a lot more challenging. Like you're really challenging your brain to think, how do I get through this? <laughs> Yeah, I agree. The, the the beginner's game is probably more like a, a jigsaw puzzle than, than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's the least fun of them. Yeah, it, I recommend it for like learning how to to do everything, but it's it's not the most fun. Uh, you know, the, the games get a lot more fun and a lot more challenging and interactive as you go. Like your decisions matter a lot more in the, in the later games. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now we we didn't talk about the uh, the meeple that came with the game too much. You mentioned he was for the expansions, but uh, he works differently in every version, mm -hmm. right? And for the beginners game, there there's two ways to use them. There's like an easier way and a harder way, and same for the intermediate, an easy and a hard, and then again for the advanced. And and in each one, it's different. Yeah. Maybe in one, you'll have that pawn. And when you discard it, you can flip a tile or you switch a tile or something. So there's a few little ways where you can make the game easier, or then there's ways where you can make the game harder. And I, I've tended to stick to the base game. I haven't used any of those variants as much. Um, okay. So I, I don't... Like, I, I've never really pulled him out of the box very much, just because in the base games, whether it's the beginner, intermediate, or advanced levels, he's, he's not used unless you're playing one of the variants. Right. I played a bunch of them in the the intermediate game using the advanced rule for the, the meeple. And uh, that's interesting. Now you also have to, um, not only are you building your castle, but you have to imprison that guy. And you basically have to, at some point, instead of choosing to place the meeple or discard or the tile, instead of placing or discarding it, you could choose it to put it around him. And so you're basically s surrounding him with eight tiles. And the same rules about placement are there that you can't have the same shape twice in a row. And if when you complete a challenge, you have not completely surrounded them, you also have to discard or maybe get to discard six tiles from your castle. That's interesting. If he, yes, <laughs> it is hard. It definitely was hard. I did. And I kept playing it that way until I finally beat it, and it took me a long time. I need to try it. <laughs> the first couple times I played the introductory level, I, I used the piece and the easier variant because I was like, I, I was having a little trouble figuring everything out in my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm making this easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a neat game. And then we haven't talked about the advanced game yet. Have you played that? I've only played that one once, I think. Yeah, I've tried it out. Um, I, I've, I've mostly played the intermediate level. Um, I, I probably need to start getting into the uh, expert level now. But that's where your castle is actually being attacked. The, the beginner and the intermediate level are both taking place in these schools um, where you're learning how to build your tower and how to defend your tower. But it's not actually being attacked. You're, you're, um, you're in like the admiral's school of 
castle building or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in the third one, you are actually defending the castle against attack. So, so first off, this one is adds some different things. Your your three cards that have your goals um, are are quite different, and and you don't lose the game if you don't complete them. So your first goal might be to have like three vertical stacks of four tiles, so four tile or four uh, towers within your castle. Um, and if you cannot complete that, then maybe there, there's different types of creatures that can attack you, but they'll come in and what they do is they'll knock out 30 tiles from your castle. And you can keep playing from there. Like you don't immediately lose the game unless you don't have enough tiles to remove. Um, you can keep playing, but you're 30 tiles short on your castle. So it's, it's a lot harder to, to move on to the next level if you don't complete the first one. But if, if you're able to complete your three towers, then the monsters don't do anything. But it's a lot tighter game, too, because you only have two um, two traders before you trigger these events. Uh, so that they're, they're going to happen a lot quicker. So you've got to be getting rid of your traders if you're drawing them early. Um, but what this one adds, so e- each level adds something new. And the last one, it gave powers to the characters, right? This one gives powers to the defensive structures themselves. So your your defensive line and your tower and your uh, your block of four, I forget what that's called um, in the game, but each one of those things that you build will allow you some type of power. Um, so your three attackers are all face down at the start. The three cards that have your goals and the attackers on them are face down. But that's right, and that's new to this. That's level. new, yeah. Everything else, they're face up, and you know what you're facing right from the beginning. But here in this one, as you build a tower, it, you know a tower would give you greater visibility of what's coming, so you can flip over the next card in front of you. So if you're dealing with card number one, you can flip over card number two and see. Okay, so I need three towers on this level, and then I need two blocks on the next level or whatever, so you can kind of plan ahead a little better. Um, the uh, the block of four, every one of those that you have will reduce the number of tiles that the monsters can destroy when they're attacking. So if the card says this monster is going to come through and destroy 20 tiles, and you have four blocks, um, so four separate blocks of four, that would actually reduce every block you have reduces four blocks from the tiles that the monsters can destroy. So if the monster is going to destroy 20 tiles and you had four groups of four, uh, they'd only be able to destroy four blocks from the castle, which is a lot easier to deal with. So your, 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 your characters have the same power that they do in the intermediate level, but now you've also got your, your defensive structures have power. So it's quite a bit different and uh, a lot more to think about it i did not live very long when i played the advanced no. game it's i know people have beaten it but man it's it's challenging really? <laughs> you know i i read the advanced rules and I, I honestly kind of just put the game away intimidated and scared <laughs> <laughs> i could i said i don't think i want to do that i don't even want to try it, it sounds so hard yeah the intermediate level for me is kind of the perfect balance it's, yeah. it's fun it's challenging but it's also possible uh the expert level um i know it can be done but man it sounds harder and it, it's funny there's there's also rules to use the little meeple character to make that one harder too <laughs> 
I can't imagine. It, yeah, I, I'm never going to get that far. I'll, maybe I'll try to make it easy, use the meeple to make it easier, but not harder. <laughs> yeah, now, th- there's also some other tiles in the box that we haven't talked about there is, at all. There's a little expansion called the Pantry. Okay. It it. Have you used that ever? No, but I, I, I read the rules uh, just to refresh on them a little bit, and they add 12 tiles, and they're, they're not of characters at all. So what you have is... Uh, triangles squares and circles and they kind of look like shelves filled with magic potions or something Mm -hmm. Uh, so when you're using the pantry expansion with whatever level you're playing with whether it's the beginner or the expert um, when you meet your challenge cards there's a level of pantry tiles that you have to have in your castle to succeed at that challenge card so you have to build whatever's on the challenge card and you also have to have two pantry tiles on the first card, four pantry tiles on the second card, and six on the third. And the thing that makes these really challenging is that they don't factor into any of your defensive formations. So if you're trying to build a tower or a defensive line or the block of, of four tiles, you can't use those pantry tiles. They have to be in your castle but you can't use them for anything. So I think they add a lot of challenge just of juggling. Where do I put these things where they're not going to hinder me? They're not going to get in the way. I have to have them in here. So I, I think it's a, an interesting idea. I'd probably want to try it out with one of the, the lower levels, not the expert level. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they, they can go into your castle and you have to have the exact number of them. So if the card requires two pantry tiles, you can't have three and call it good. Like it has to be very exact. Um, so you've got to get them in there okay. before you draw your trader tile, but you don't want it in there too early. So it's messing you up. So I haven't played it, but just reading the rules, it sounds interesting, but very <coughs> challenging. Okay. That, that sounds like a better way to, to ramp up the challenge than going up to level three. <laughs> yeah, it, it's cool. Uh, so you get, what impresses me with this game is with the pantry expansion, the three levels of play, and then every level of play has an easy and a hard variant. So you're getting, for every level of play, you get easy, normal, and hard. So that's nine different versions, plus you throw in those pantry tiles, and they can go with any of those combinations. You know, there's a ton of replayability. I mean, just like any of these mm-hmm. uh, Omniverse, or, or uh, Omniverse games. Omniverse? Omniverse? Yeah, Omniverse. All of the boxes, I think, come with tons of variability and, and you know, tons of ways you can remix the cards and, and play different versions. This game is kind of the same way. I mean, I, I feel like I've just scratched the surface of this game, and I've been playing it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. There, there's definitely a lot of strategies in that intermediate game, a lot of different things you could do to to meet the challenge. And it, it's always fun when, when you look at it when you first set up saying, you know, how am I going to get from this challenge to that challenge? I, that I got to change my castle a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, and that could be. It's tough. fun when you have a challenge. It's like you need to do three vertical towers, and then you go to the next challenge, and you have to have three horizontal towers, and, and those do not play nice together. So, no. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I got to destroy my castle and start over here. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it can be done. You know, careful destruction will, will get you there mm-hmm. quickly. 
So that is neat. I, I really like the game a lot. I've enjoyed it. You know, and, and when I've played this, to me, it reminds me a lot of um, Onirum. Not not in the mechanics necessarily, but in the feeling I get out of it. Yeah, it's a simple, the sim, very simple mechanic that turns into something very elegant. Yeah, it, learning the rules to this is really easy. I mean, really, the main rule is you can't place a square next to a square. Um, that there's not very many rules to this, but man, it gets challenging and elegant, easy play, like you said. It's easy to get into, and but really takes a while to wrap your mind around all the possibilities. I love the artwork. You know, thematically, obviously, this fits right in with the other two or three games from the series, depending on how we're counting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the gameplay for me feels a little less linked to the theme than Onirum did. Um, like I, I don't. This sounds silly as I'm thinking of the words I'm about to say, but it doesn't feel <laughs> like I'm building a castle in Dream World. It's just <laughs> I, I, I love the art, I love the character powers and stuff, but it doesn't feel um, as as linked to that theme as Onirum did, where you're trying to escape nightmares and stuff. Um, but you know, I, it's such a cool game. It, it, it doesn't really. That doesn't bother me, but I didn't feel like Onirum just sucked me in. And this was this mm-hmm. is more of a, a brain burning puzzle to me. Like the, the theme matters less, I guess is how I would say it, than it did in Onirum. Hmm, okay. Interesting. Um Alright, so so I'd say yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this game. It sounds like you would too. Yeah, I recommend it so really Julius, highly. Julius Go ahead and, <laughs> go ahead and go buy try it now. this. <laughs> How do you rank it in um, the series of games? Uh, it, it'd be hard to, to say. I'd say probably Onirum first and then this. And then Erbion. And then the... Um, Sylvian. Sylvian. Yeah, I, I, I'm similar. I, I think the more I've played this game, the more it slightly edges out Onirum for me. Although Onirum, like I, I love them. They're they're very very close. I could go first place and second place either way. Um, mm-hmm. I love that Onirum. Like there's even more variety in the box than there is in this one. Like you can try out so much stuff and mix the expansions and try multiple things together and just have this huge variety of play. And the play is so elegant. But it is in this as well. Um, I, and I really love the puzzle elements of it. So. I could, I could go either way. I'm not sure if it's first or second place, but it, it's almost a tie with Onirum for me. <laughs> it probably has to do with which one you played last. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> now, when was the last time you did play Onirum? Has it been recently? Uh, it's, it's been a little while. It's been a few few okay. months, probably. I should really pull it out again because I've... You know, I just have so much stuff to play. It, I, like, I played, I played yeah. it quite a lot... I think around Christmas time, and then it got set aside in favor of other things, and so I, I need to revisit it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I pulled it out again recently, been playing it with different expansions. I just love that variety that it has. Yeah, it's funny that we... And maybe that's why I like it I better. think we both put Sylvian at the at the bottom. I, it, it's not a bad game, but I just I didn't love it as much as uh, the other two. Yeah, well, you know what? With that one, I I didn't get past the introductory game too much, and I have a feeling that that's part of it. 
Like I tried doing the the part of the deck building, and I played that a couple times. But it seemed every time I was playing it, there was distractions on at home. You know, with the family life and the kids, and and I think that might be part of why. Yeah, and it, for whatever reason, it didn't quite click with me. But I need to pull it out and try it again. It's just been sitting on my shelf since those initial plays, and I think I owe it another look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, all these games are great, definitely. Yeah, I, and I, I love the way they look on the shelf, like. Even if I didn't love that game as much, like the whole series fits in and the artwork is so terrific. Like I, I just love, they're kind of like display games. They're the games that you want out on your shelf as a conversation starter or something. Yes, I agree. And you know, Ranger, there's one thing about this game I don't like too much, which is the, the plastic insert for some reason is shallow in the middle, right? And so there's a space to lay the cards in it. And you lay them flat, but then if you ever stand the box up right, they immediately just are going to get scattered all over the place. In there. I mean, it's not a big box. It won't go far. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen people who there's little holes on all four corners for your tiles to go into. And mm-hmm. the design of this, I, I think, was a little bad because they look like you could put the tiles flat inside of it and just stack them on top of each other. But if you do that, it's really hard to get the tiles out. Oh. And then they don't fit. Like you, you'd have loose tiles all over the box. So they actually, if if you if you didn't know this, anyone, they're they go in vertically. Like they they stack next to each other, and then they fit perfectly. But like you said, Albert, the the cards in the middle, it's a full inch from where the cards go into their little holder to the top of the box. So there's nothing holding them in. So yeah, if if you store the game flat, the cards will be fine. But as soon as you put it up on its side, all of your cards are going to just tumble all over the box. The tiles will be fine, but the, the cards will go everywhere. Mm-hmm. They, they could have built the, the section for the cards to look like a little tower or castle of some kind. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been kind of cool. And then <laughs> it would have nice. pressed up against the top of the box and you wouldn't have had that kind of problem. Yep. But I mean, yep. like you said, there's only 20 cards and it's a tiny box, so they're not going to get damaged or anything, but... Um, it's just not as nice as it could have been. Yep. Now, now what I have done for that, though, is um, I got a little bag, and when I play, sometimes I'll use the bag for drawing tiles, um, and, and I keep it in there, and I sort of roll it up, and it goes over the cards, and it holds them in place well enough, and that works. Oh, that's nice. But, yeah, I, I like you mentioned the bag there. That That's, I think, a really interesting idea because... In the game, your tiles are just stacked up, and you have to shuffle them face down on the top table and mix them up. I actually like a bag quite a lot better because you can mix them up with your hand and draw a random tile. And um, I don't think the tiles get as beat up as when you're mixing them up on the tabletop. Uh, but the game yeah. doesn't come with a bag, but I kind of recommend that you play with one. Yeah, you know what though? Uh, I, I'm, I got mixed feelings about it. Sometimes I'll be in the mood for the bag. Sometimes I don't. It. And the problem with the bag is that I find I'm drying tiles a lot slower, reaching in and, and digging out tile. And when they're scattered on the table, I just flip them over much faster. And it's such a quick game, it, it really can make a difference. Oh, and that's true. And also, you, so, you, you want to have your safe tiles in a separate stack. You don't want to mix them in yeah. with, with, uh, with your purple tiles. Yeah, the safe ones, I always just, I'll put them in a stack and just scatter it, and, and that's fine. Okay. And then the rest, either depending on the mood, I'll put them in the bag or not. And, you're, and I really I go both your, ways. Your pantry tiles would be separate as well if you were playing with that expansion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I need to try that. I still haven't. Yeah, I, I think it looks really cool, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't played with them yet. 
there, there's like I haven't gotten tired of the regular game. I mean, I think I, I mean it as a compliment that I haven't dug into the expansions because I'm still playing the regular game, and I haven't needed to to try different things with it yet. I'm still trying to master. <laughs> I, I I don't win the intermediate level very often. <laughs> Yeah, no, that I, I tried going through and uh, playing it each way once, and I think relatively quickly I got to the intermediate and then the advanced part of the intermediate, and then I, I hovered there forever. And that probably took me a good eight or ten games. Yeah, I, I saw someone post on Board Game Geek that they beat all three the intermediate, the, the, the <laughs> beginning, the intermediate, and the advanced level after, I don't know, 20, 24, 25 games or something. Like, well, they're they're better than me. <laughs> I think I'm a long way from being that expert level. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun game. Yeah, it's, it's a game with longevity, definitely. Neat. Um, so, what do you think is next? Any guesses? Out of this series in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I've I've not heard anything about any other ones. Yeah, I, I've listened to the interviews with the designers. I know he or with the designer and the artist. I know that. They are, they're working on more. Like you said, they, they don't want to go visit uh, Erbion because they're working on newer games. Um, I'm sure the series, I think, has been very successful, so I'm hoping there's more that comes out of it. I've, I've liked everything. Even when I say that Sylvian isn't my favorite out of the series, I, I still like it quite a lot out of you know solitaire games in general. Um, I was impressed with it. But... I'd love to see more from them. Like everything they've done has been good. So I, I don't know what's coming next, but I hope that something cool comes up. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing it's going to be underwater, something in the oceans or something. Yeah. We've gone from a uh, nightmare land to the, the dream world forest and, and the dream world castle. So it'd, it'd be cool to see dream world oceans or whatever. Mm hmm. Or maybe underground. Who knows? <laughs> you know, I'm sure it'll be fun, whatever it is, you know, based on the track record. Yeah, yeah it's a very good track record. It's it's kind of one of those series that I'm willing to purchase, you know, like a, a lot of times I'll want to read reviews or see some playthroughs or something. Castilian came out and I'm just like, I want that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't care uh, to, to read reviews. Like I, I want that right away. So the, the track record with Onira Malone has been powerful enough to make me want to see more out of this series. Yep, I, I agree wholeheartedly. All right, I don't think I have anything else. Do you? No, I think uh, I probably talked everybody's ear off with <laughs> design <laughs> contest games and um, Castilian, other than giving it a big thumbs up. I think that's all I have for it, too. Okay. Do Should we do a... Uh, oh, I can't... Yeah, I forgot the name of this thing. The uh, uh, The Great Debate... Oh sure, I I haven't done this before, so let's 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 give it a try. Okay, it's gonna be a little bit tricky. Unfortunately, without Julius, he's the keeper of the words, so I don't think I don't think I have access to the list. Oh, Maybe I, I do. I, I've seen the list, so I think it's. Oh, you've got access to the list. Okay, <laughs> I, I can I You'll give I can words. get the list if you can't. <laughs> I'd never looked. Julius is gonna listen to this and go. I'm turning off Chris's access. This was never meant to happen. <laughs> <laughs> the great debate words. 
Let's see. Did he post it on the guild? I don't remember seeing it. It is in the drive folder. But uh, he usually posts it for people to vote on, right? Oh, I, I didn't uh, notice search. if he did. Great debate. No. Hmm. Yeah, I think you forgot it. Well, just as well. We'll do two at the same time then. I'll put up the poll for the other one. Here's the... Okay. Should we just pick one at random here? Yeah. Pick pick a random word. Roll a die or something. Okay. I'll, uh... Why don't we go with caterpillars? Caterpillars. Okay, I need to argue caterpillars. Are we are we talking uh, caterpillars within Castilion? Yes, yes, we're talking about that game. Okay, so maybe this one's going to be too easy for you because there's one of the monsters attacking your castle as worms, so you can transition. <laughs> I'm giving you hints on how to win the debate. I'm terrible at this debate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet for the next thirty seconds. Go. <laughs> Okay, and I'll... Um, actually, I haven't played the advanced games. What is your word? Uh, let me pick one randomly here. I've got squirrels. Squirrels, okay. Both both sound good. Um, when, Whenever I'm ready. Now you need a timer. Oh, okay. If you go to Google and type timer, it has a, a yeah. built-in timer that will pop up. I was up. just doing that. So do we have, a, what is it, 30 seconds to... I get 20, you get 30, and then I have a 10-second rebuttal after. Okay, so I'll, I'll start and the I, clock at 20 here. Okay. And I am arguing caterpillars. Let me know when you're okay. ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay, go. This game needs more caterpillars. Um, The reason is because you're building a castle, and a lot of the tiles in this castle are very earthy. And it would be a great place for Caterpillar to come and lay a nest and build a chrysalis. And that could be the next expansion. You have butterflies that suddenly pop up in the middle of your game randomly. And now are messing up your shapes. So just another challenge. All right, that was time. Okay. So I, I have huh. 30 seconds to uh, to talk. Am I, am, I, I'm arguing for mm -hmm. squirrels, and then uh, you'll have a 10-second rebuttal. Yep, okay. to say you're crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think the game is great, but it could really use squirrels. Uh, reason being, uh, you've got your characters, but they're pretty nondescript. It's just uh, a red blob and a, and a blue blob. A squirrel would really add some uh, variety to the game, and you could have special powers where you could store nuts, but the nuts are tiles, so you could store <laughs> those tiles and use them when you wanted to. So it'd be like the seer where you can see four tiles, but you can save them for later when you really need them. Stop. That's time. <laughs> now look at that. You finished faster. <laughs> huh. Um, and now I've got 10 seconds to rebottle that. Okay. Ready? Go. Yep. Okay. Uh, Chris, have you ever had squirrels in your yard? If you do, then you know nobody likes squirrels. They are pests. They eat all the bird seeds. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> do, do I have a rebuttal as well? No, I'm afraid okay. not. You had 10 extra seconds, so... 
<laughs> no need for yeah. And you had, I guess, the theory is you had more time to think about it while I was talking. I guess that's true. Uh, I don't know if that actually works. Well, I, I didn't actually know why I was supporting squirrels until about fifteen seconds into my <laughs> argument. It's like, oh, they could you could save the four tiles. There you go. <laughs> I actually like that idea. I'm going to make that squirrel expansion. <laughs> <laughs> An expansion, darn. Uh, I'm not going to say anything until after the votes are in, but that might be interesting. <laughs> Well, all right. Thank you for for being here, Chris. And let's talk about Castilian. Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast today. It was, yep. It's always fun to do this. Yep. Oh, and, and the, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the print and play patrol segment. So that that's been awesome. So thank you for that. Good. I'm glad. And I hope these games that we talked about are easy enough that even people who don't normally do print and play might be willing to go and and give some of them a try. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. And click. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus and can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.